You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word. What I'm doing here is I'm picking up right with the parable where Jesus replied to the lawyer. He said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. We want to talk about the one who showed mercy. Let's pray. God, may that one who is filled with mercy uh, be, be us, be each one of us today. May we see the opportunity to be merciful, and may we not miss that moment for the kingdom's sake. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I don't know about you, but when it's, when it's my birthday, my mom will make me my favorite cake, and, and uh, I'm sure that's true for you. And often when we think about, uh, just in your mind, I want you to, to do this for me. I want you to get in your mind your, your favorite dessert, your favorite treat. Now, um, I'm not saying what your spouse tells you your favorite treat is, or, or your mom or dad, you know, they say, this is what you like for a snack, don't you? Don't you? No, no. I'm talking about like if you could choose whatever and you're not thinking so much about calories or sugar or anything like that. Get that in your mind right now. Now, just imagine if, if uh, the, with the wonders of science that today we could figure out how we could have the sweetest dessert and it be perfectly healthy for you. Like, that's the dream, right? That's every single food producer. If they could figure out how to make that cheesecake where it was, like, actually good for you, rich and healthy. Well, let me say this. Today we're talking about mercy. And in my view, mercy is the sweetest gift there is. It is something that comes straight from God. It is the dessert of spiritual gifts but I believe it is also a spiritual health food. So what I was talking about a moment ago, even though we may not have that in a physical sense, I think today we're talking about the spiritual equivalent of like the silver bullet, the magic uh, dessert. What we have here is mercy that is sweet and it is healthy. That is a win-win. Now, when we come into the text here, we see that there really hasn't been a whole lot of sweetness in the text I mean, so far, things have been, well, pretty rough. We've noticed that bitterness seems to be a little bit more uh, uh, in the equation. Like with the lawyer, he seems to be a little bit more of a technician 
than a seeker of truth. He's, he's trying to get the fine-tuning done there to make sure that he's going to heaven. I mean, we understand that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to know how to get to heaven. That's important stuff. We talk about that a lot here, but there just seems to be a little dryness there. It's not, it's not like he's really trying to grow. It's just he wants to make sure that, that he, you know, that everybody else knows that he knows, that kind of thing. And then we get into the priest and the Levite. And uh, they are anything but sweet. Here they have an opportunity to pour out mercy, and, and they totally go to the other side. They fail in every way. So you have the lawyer, the priest, and the Levite, which sounds like the beginning of a really bad joke. But the truth is, is all three of those characters, the most important thing for us to get is, there just isn't sweetness. There isn't any mercy. And then we get to this Samaritan. And the Samaritan is the epicenter of mercy. And for us today, we're familiar with this. Many of you, if you're in church, if you've been in church a long time, you know the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know the Good Samaritan is good, and so that doesn't really shake you up. If you've really paid attention to your Sunday school teachers, you know the Samaritan was a little different ethnically than the Jews of his day. And so what we need to re- realize is, is that Samaritans and Jews were very similar, but they were just different enough that they didn't get along. And it sounds a lot like, you know, modern evangelical Christianity. Sometimes, you know, the people we have the most in common with, we don't seem to get along with. Well, back then... It was really bad. It was so bad that, that Samaritans were just literally uh, the victims of, of hate crimes, and it kind of went both ways, if we want to think in modern terms. It was a Cold War that during Jesus' day, it, it turned pretty hot. And so if you were a Samaritan and you were traveling through Judea or you were in those lands of the Hebrews, you were not, not going to be safe and you wouldn't feel safe. And so that's sort of in the background of this text. Now, it's important to note that when Jesus talks with the Samaritan woman at the well, he makes it very clear that the Samaritans do not have the upper, the higher ground, as it were, on theology. In fact, he says, you guys are wrong. We worship what's true. You don't. So we don't want to think for a minute that the Samaritans had an equal view in terms of their theological views. It's not true. Jesus says so. But here's the deal. What was really here in this story grabbing attention was the fact that this Samaritan, the one who shouldn't be doing the right thing, does the right thing. And the people who should be merciful and kind and and living out the law aren't. And it's so powerful. So let me just say this. Really, the good Samaritan seeks to help us struggle with like the answer to two questions. And the first one is that question of eternal life. What does it take for, for me to inherit eternal life? And what Jesus is basically saying is, take the word of God and, and hear it and believe it and do it. So we know that. That's what Jesus is telling us, not only in this parable, but throughout the scriptures. We are to be soaking in the truth, believing it, and then acting upon it. But then the other question here in the text is, who is my neighbor? And the answer is right here in verse 37. The one who is the neighbor is the one who showed mercy. So today we want to talk about what it looks like to be the one who has mercy. And there are three questions, key questions, that I'm going to ask you that will guide our conversation for the rest of the morning that will help us realize whether we are or are not the one who shows mercy. The first question is, are we willing to sacrifice? And in particular, self. Now, if I say, you know, sacrifice the the change um, in your car, 
uh, you know, a few, few pennies. Oh, sure, everybody will do that. But what we're talking about here is a sacrifice on a deeper level, a sacrifice of our time, our energy, maybe our comfort. Now, look at the story with me, and you'll see that the story is telling us a few things about the Samaritan. He was a businessman. He was a traveling merchant, it would appear. The language in the Greek here shows us this. He has an animal, which means he had transportation, and that was not cheap. He had provisions, he had money. So here's a guy who has some resources. He has a business. He's obviously on his way uh, from or to doing business. And so here's the deal. We have somebody who has money, and he's a Samaritan. So strike one, strike two. If you are an average Hebrew person listening to this story, because in those days, the people who had money, well, they were suspicious of those people. The common people would have looked at a wealthy businessman and said, well, I'm sure they cheated people to get that. So that's a strike against the man. And then he's a Samaritan, which means he is not exactly of the right ethnicity. He's not the right people group. And so the people listening to this story for the first time are going, you know, what's up with the Samaritan? And the Samaritan, by doing what he does, takes genuine risks. Now, I want just very quickly, and here's what we're going to do. There'll be several slides up here, and so I'm giving you a warning ahead of time. And what I've done here is I've taken a thought from Daryl Bach. He's a great, great uh, New Testament prof uh, expert in Luke, and he's down in Texas somewhere. I think he's in the Dallas area. But he, he talks about the six concrete actions. So very quickly, I'm going to go through, like, if, you're, if you want to know the concrete actions of mercy, here they are. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to follow those with the excuses he could have given. And then the third line are the excuses we give when we have these opportunities to concretely give of ourselves and be merciful. So first, the first action, he comes to the hurting man. He comes. He doesn't go to the other side. He comes to the hurting man. And here's what he could have said. He could have said in his heart, if I help the man, I might get robbed or injured. Now, when we come to our lives, okay, I doubt if you share the gospel with your neighbor, you're going to get punched in the face, unless you've really been a bad neighbor. But one of the reasons we may not go over is, and I, I kind of use language here that's funny, is, you know, oh, well, we just don't know about our neighbors. They might be villains. And I use that word because it's almost like a, uh, like a comic book or something like that. Like, sometimes we, we don't go and, and care for our neighbors what, because they, we think they're going to be villains. Well, I think about it this way. We, we, we'll just be like, well, I don't know what's going on over there. I, I don't know. It's just kind of strange. It, will it look weird? We make excuses instead of being active. The second thing that he actively does, he binds the man's wounds. Now, he could have said, I'm not a medical professional. I think when it comes to us being a good neighbor, sometimes we'll say things like, well, I'm not a pastor. That's not my job. That's your job, Jeremy. Oh, it is my job, but I think we can argue and we can see very clearly in the scriptures the priesthood of all believers. You know, people like to argue that when they're talking about salvation, but when we start talking about doing ministry, well, all of a sudden we don't like priesthood of the believers anymore. Because that means you got to do the work too, okay? Uh, we, we are all equally, uh, you know, in light of God's word. We have access to him. But that means we equally are responsible for serving him. So, so there's that. Um, the third thing here, uh, he anoints the cuts with oil and wine. He could have said, you know, this medicine is expensive. And for us, not reaching our neighbors, we could say, well, I don't know that I have any extra money to do this. This is going to cost too much. Next, we see the man, the Good Samaritan. He loads the man on a mule and transports him to safety. Now, he could have said, you know, this is a rocky road. If I put this heavy weight on my animal, what if he breaks a leg? For us, we might say, well, I don't want to get to know my neighbor because I don't want to use my truck. You know, and he could do damage. You know, you never know. So, you know, you're worried about your truck. Here's another thing. He puts him in an inn, 
a hotel, if you want to think of it that way, for a month. And he might have thought, well, you know, how many nights is really generous? If I do two extra nights, that'll probably be enough. But no, he goes over and above. And I think for us today, one of the excuses we make for not being good neighbors is we say, well, I don't have enough family time already. I need to make sure that I reserve enough time for me and mine. And then finally, the Good Samaritan offers to provide any outstanding expenses. He could have said, well, what if the innkeeper takes advantage of me? Or today, we just might say, well, I'm not sure there's any real benefit for me reaching out to my neighbors because it doesn't do anything for me. Sadly, those are excuses that we make um, all the time, I think, and, and, and variations of that. But any time that we are in the position of making an excuse instead of acting in love, I have to tell you, that's probably not God working on you. If you're the person excusing, not serving, that is not healthy. And God is trying to get all of our attention because you won't neighbor well until you are committed to sacrificing. It is a sacrifice of self, physical, financial, emotional, spiritual. That's what God is calling us to do. And we must be all in. We cannot do this halfway. We need to make sure that our neighbor's cares are important. You know, we have the, the trifle that we had, and I had one up here, and somebody stole it. It shouldn't happen in church if people steal your stuff, but somebody stole my stuff. Did you steal my stuff? But anyway, the, the neighboring trifold, if you were to grab one of those, if you grabbed one a couple weeks ago or last week, great. If you haven't, get one this week. But basically, what we want to do is we want to use that tool to get our neighbors and to begin to think about them and the needs that they have and to realize that there may be opportunities for you to sacrifice a little bit and make their lives better. Ultimately, we would like to see their lives, their spiritual lives, get better and they get saved. That's what we love to see here at Ridgecrest is people coming to know Jesus. The second question is this, are we willing to fight for what's right? Now, I want us to, to really think about this for a few moments here. And, and, and to put it in context with this Sanctity of Life Sunday that we're having today. I think this is a really good opportunity because we're talking about extending mercy to those in peril. And I think we could agree that the unborn in our country, in our world today, are very much at risk. Notice the Samaritan commits to the injured man and he was committing to fight for the life of a stranger. He was committing to fight for someone he didn't know. The Samaritan, even in the context of going into this inn, let me just pause for a second. I want you to think about this. If you were to go into a, a hotel somewhere here in Springfield and offer to buy a room for someone, the person behind the desk could care less as long as your credit card works. But this good Samaritan, when he walked into the inn, he knew that he could be rejected. In fact, if there was anybody else in there that was definitely anti-Samaritan, then he could have been persecuted. So even by going into the inn, he is showing that he is willing to fight for the life of the hurting man. Notice verse 33. The language is simple. The Samaritan came to where he, the hurting man, was, and when he saw him, had compassion on him. And I want to ask you, when was the last time that you had compassion on someone in trouble? Enough to act on it. Compassion is one thing, but compassion led the Samaritan to care for the hurting person. And today, I'm going to tell you, as a preacher of the word, I feel like many times I'm dishing it out, but I'm wondering if you're taking it, and I'm wondering if you're applying it, because it's not enough for us to say, yeah, we love people. We need to prove it with our actions. We need to prove it with who we are. 
We need to put our money where our mouth is. We need to get into the trenches. We need to serve those who are hurting. And we need to be courageous enough to get in the way of harm if it can save the lives of those who are hurting. We are too comfortable, church, and it's showing. The fight for what's right is something that we must be willing to do both in the moment of crisis and in the long run. More on that in a moment. We need to understand that doing the right thing requires courageous action, kind of like an instant response, okay, in the moment. But also, we need to be thinking about long-term vision. We're talking about that here today. We want to be courageous every day, but we also need to have a vision. And today, with Sanctity of Life Sunday, we need to have courageous action for those who are vulnerable and a long-term vision for helping them. And I want to say this to you, and I hope you'll hear me. I've learned this over the years. We have compassion and want to give mercy toward the unborn. We want to fight for the lives of those little ones that don't have a voice. But I also want you to know this. If you're here today and you have been hurt by abortion in any way, shape, form, or or fashion, we want you to know there is compassion here for you too. You and I and all of us need the mercy of God, the grace of God. We do not stand in judgment of you. Only God himself will do that. The church needs to extend mercy to the unborn, and it needs to extend mercy to those who have made choices that now they regret. We love you and care for you, and I am not preaching at anybody. My sins are great too. We are not here to to try to be morally superior. We are all here before Jesus, before his cross, and in desperate need of his blood, washing our sins away. We love you. I want you to know that. We love you and care about you. And that's why we're talking about this today, because we want to fight for anyone who has been hurt by the lies of Satan and by the lies that run rampant in our land. In our land since 1973, Roe versus Wade, abortion has been the law of the land. It has been legal to do so. And there are all kinds of arguments that have come uh, against this and for it over the years. I don't want to give you a history, but right now, if you're paying attention, there is a, a case being considered before the Supreme Court. It is a case that comes out of the state of Mississippi, and those who know what they're talking about say this could be the case that brings Roe versus Wade down. Now listen to me. That is a big deal. That is a tremendously big deal. And the reason I know it is on a, on a realistic kind of practical level and on a spiritual level is because there is spiritual warfare taking place in our land. And if you're paying attention and if you're reading the newspapers, the New York Times, for instance, December 3rd, an op-ed written by Elizabeth Spears. I don't want to go into it. If you want to look it up, you can find it yourself. The title of the piece was, I was adopted. I know the trauma it can inflict. And this woman who was adopted herself makes a case against what one of the justices on the Supreme Court was arguing, saying we, we need to consider adoption as an alternative to abortion. That's what the justice said. This article is to say, no, that's not good enough because if you adopt, if a family adopts that child, it could be messy. Now, let me just say this. I'm not trying to be a philosopher here. But a person who was adopted, arguing against adoption for the sake of life, is arguing against their own existence. She is arguing against her own existence. Now, I bring this up because here's the deal. When you are arguing to take a life, your argument is almost always, if not always, irrational. It's not thinking about the the, the need of the unborn, the, the weak one, the vulnerable one. 
And today we see so many examples of this. And I want to just say this to you. As Christians, over the years, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I've, I've preached a lot of Christmas uh, sermons, I told you. I've preached a lot of sermons on Sanctity of Life Sunday, and I've made a lot of mistakes in how I've presented it. Many times, I think I've come across too strong, like I'm angry with, with those who have gone through abortion or whatever. Listen, I hope you hear my heart, but listen to me, church. We need to think about this. If we do what some Christians tell us we need to do, which is to say, well, that abortion is a political issue, not a moral issue. I'll, I'll give you the, the best example I know. If we say that, we are like the priest and the Levite, and all we're doing is going to the other side of the road and not dealing with the facts. The Good Samaritan is going to acknowledge that there are, there's messiness here. There's a whole lot of work that has to be done, but we are not going to walk to the other side of the road if there is a genuine need. And I'm telling you, in our world today, there are a lot of vulnerable children at risk. And I believe the church can argue winsomely, biblically, scientifically, and psychologically that this is the right fight, that we need to have courage in the fight. And so the Pregnancy Care Center, as Shayla talked about earlier, they are here to help women in crisis. So in the moment, they are the courageous ones helping people in crisis. But here at Ridgecrest and here in Southwest Missouri, we have a long-term vision for caring for these people at risk. We have Defender Care Ministry here at Ridgecrest. I don't know if we'll continue to call it that. Maybe, maybe not. But the point is, we believe in supporting those who are adopting and fostering. And if you are a part of Ridgecrest and you don't feel called to adopt or you don't feel called to foster directly, we understand, but every single one of us needs to have a long-term vision and a commitment to support those who will. We need to understand that it is important for us to not just say life is important, but we put our energy, our money into it and make sure that those kids at risk have a home to be loved and cared for and led to Jesus. We also have the Missouri Baptist Children's Home. I'm here to tell you for for over 100 years, this organization started in St. Louis. We have a a great um, center of their work here in Southwest Missouri. We have a partnership with them that helps with fostering and providing services for those at risk. We can be courageous day by day in helping in this area, but we also have a long-term vision, Ridgecrest, and I'll tell you more about that here in just a moment. But we need to be willing to sacrifice, and we need to be willing to fight for what is right. Very quickly, let me ask this third question. Are we willing to ignore the world's ways? I'm going to tell you, the world is not a place of mercy. It's not a place of love, but the good Samaritan shows mercy and he shows love. Love doesn't worry about social convention manners or niceties. Love sees a need and acts. And church, I'm telling you, that's what we need. We need generosity driven by compassion. We have generosity here, but we have to make sure that love is pushing us forward. We're not going to worry about what the New York Times or anybody else tells us is on the right side of history because we want to be on the right side of God. We want to be courageous in caring for people at risk, and we need to be willing to take uh, the slings and arrows from the culture all day long if we are fighting for those who are weak and fighting for those who are hurt and broken and sad. We can make a difference because the gospel of Jesus Christ is power. It's not just a power. It is the power to change the world. 
And so that's why we come here, brothers and sisters, we come here to hear the gospel and to be filled with the hope of the gospel because we believe the only way to overcome the categories that are in this world and the division that is in this world, the dividing lines, the walls, is the genuine love of Jesus. And Jesus, if he is inviting you into a deeper relationship with him, I believe he is leading you into a deeper and better relationship with your neighbor. The two things go hand in hand. If you have mercy that comes from God, you will have compassion to those who are hurting. As we finish up today, I just want to say this. Mercy is a moral imperative. It's not something that we plug in where we can. Christians are called to be charitable, full of love. And we need to follow the Lord because to follow the Lord is to invest in love. It's always been this way. I don't want you to think that, that the New Testament invented the idea of caring for hurting people and showing mercy. The lawyer had to know this passage. Let me read it to you. It's on the screen for you. Isaiah 1, 16 and 18. Listen to this. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Church, verse 16, I think, is very important for us here in a land where Roe versus Wade is the law of the land. Look at verse 17. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Very similar to the language of James 1. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. I believe that this verse, these verses of Scripture draw a line between what is false righteousness and true righteousness, between the priest and the Levites and the way they acted and the way the Samaritan responded and acted. And I just have to ask you, where, where are you in that continuum? Which side of the equation do you fall on? Have you been the one who's gone to the other side of the road and failed to show mercy? Or are you the one who is today ready to be merciful? Are you the one who shows mercy? Or have you been putting on a show? And here's the question. The reason I ask this question is because in, in the church today, it's not hard to have the information, to know what you're supposed to look like. But just because you put on a facade doesn't mean that it's motivating you day by day. So what does showing mercy look like? When we talk about being a good neighbor, this week we had a discussion and, and some of the things we talked about were this. I mean, I know it sounds simple and trite, but I mean, you know, sweet mercy needs to be poured out on your neighbor when they park their car in front of your driveway and you can't get in your driveway at the end of a long day. Sweet mercy looks like you being kind and gracious to the neighborhood kids who put the basketball goal right in the middle of the street and keep you from getting through. Sweet mercy is when you are willing to um, deal with the barking dog and not get angry with your neighbor. Maybe it is as simple as just when, you're, when your neighbors are being rowdy, not being that neighbor who has to call the police. I mean, all of these things, if you think about it, are, are simple, they're, they're, but they're things that happen in the course of life. And, and our our feelings get hurt. Our pride is, is, is on, the, on the line. Many times we feel like we've got to stand up for you know, ourselves, our, our desires. But I'm going to tell you, the more I read about Jesus, the more I see a man who just, well, dies for others. 
And I see in the church today, many times what we're trying to do is find the good life. And I'm asking you to consider, is your faith a show or are you showing mercy? Have you played it safe and thus shown no mercy? We could talk about this for a long time, but suffice to say that many times what we do is, is because we have reasonably good excuses, we go weeks, months, even years without showing mercy, and that's not okay. And finally, we need to remember that God is always calling us to act boldly for the fatherless, the widow, and the unborn, and we need to ask God to show us in a very real way what that looks like for us. You know, the Samaritan was the one who showed mercy. And I'm going to ask you right now to just calm your mind just, just enough. Okay, about, about like you did when you were thinking about your favorite dessert. About the same kind of calm, okay? And I want you to think about the people that are around you in your neighborhood but even if you want to go a little further than that, the people that sit around you in worship almost week after week, or maybe the people in your small group, I'm going to ask you right now to dig deep and ask yourself, have you been an agent of mercy in any of those contexts? Are you a person that, that people can count on when the crisis comes? Are you the person who has shown love enough that others want to know more about it. You know, my guess is, is that most of us as Christians are not doing well there. there I have a few friends that it just seems like, like I know if I've got a problem, I can call them and they will be there. And I know that sometimes there are others that I know, I'm pretty sure they would, but I know that they're busy. And I'm telling you, if, if you're like me, I, and I'm assuming many of us, you know, many in this room, you've braved uh, the snow and ice, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek there because the roads are perfectly fine. But, um, you've, you, you know, COVID's going on and you, and you showed up. I, my guess is, is that many of you, I'm just joking, you at home, love you. Anyway, um, my guess is, is that, is that you are people that love the Lord and you're, you are really seeking God's will for your life. But I'm telling you, I think in the church, some of us have so many irons in the fire that we're not slowing down long enough to just be a witness and a loving presence in people's lives. I say that to you, and I have no right to point a finger at anybody. This is, I think this is the greatest danger of the ministry, is that we can make the very best arguments that our busyness counts more than other people's busyness. But any busyness that keeps you from being a blessing to a hurting soul is not okay. And your schedule has had control of you long enough it's time to get control of your schedule so that you can be the one who shows mercy. That's where it starts. It starts with a commitment in the altar. It starts with a commitment to love well. And that's what we're going to do. Just a couple of verses here. An opportunity, if you will, to pray, 
to seek the face of God, if you've lacked courage of conviction, if you've missed opportunities to to be in the center of God's will, the altar is for you today, either here or in your seat. Please seek the Lord that you may be the merciful one. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.